For years, Minky Couture has been donating blankets to NICUs across the country. Owner Sandy Henry's grandson was born at 30 weeks, and she placed a mini blanket in her grandson's incubator. We want to help other NICU families with the Heart of Minky program. For every adult-sized blanket purchased, Minky Couture will donate a mini-sized blanket to NICUs across the nation. Thanks to you, we can fulfill our dream to blanket the world. When you save on auto insurance for driving safe with USAA SafePilot, you'll feel like a big deal. Even in a traffic jam. Save up to 30% with USAA SafePilot. Restrictions apply. If you like compassion, excuses, and heartwarming messages, you have clicked on the wrong link. There's a new sports voice in Toronto. The smooth-talking, roughnecking Mike Roach, where sports life and truth collide. New sports entertainment for the next generation. Something different. No bias and no BS. This is the Mike Roach Podcast. Subscribe to the Mike Roach Podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcast. And remember to follow Mike on Instagram at MikeRoach7 and at OXP.media. What's going on, people? Welcome to another episode of the Mike Roach Podcast. Got another special guest here for you, Jessica Roke, lead assistant coach for the women's Ryerson Rams basketball team. And we discussed a lot of stuff in this episode, man, from her experience as a summer league coach and scout for the Sacramento Kings, uh, the importance of having a mentor like Roy Rana, why you should never say no to opportunities, big or little, and just a ton of other things in this podcast. Now, everybody, make sure that you like, subscribe, comment, and share the Mike Roach podcast and everything OXP Media. Looking forward to giving you some more content again next week. And you'll hear from me again soon. Everybody enjoy this episode of the Mike Roach podcast featuring Jessica Roach. What's going on, people? Welcome to another episode of the Mike Roach Podcast. You already know who I am, yours truly, Mike Roach. And this podcast is brought to you by the one and only OXP Media and the Battle Canada series. I have some homegrown talent on the show today. Very happy to announce that I have Jessica Roke, lead assistant for the Ryerson Rams, and the first woman, Canadian woman, on the bench of an NBA team this past summer, acting as a scout and on-court coach for the Sacramento Kings. Now, Jessica, do you understand the magnitude of what I just said? <laughs> I think you're blowing it up bigger than it is, but uh, <laughs> um, definitely an honor to you know share my story, and um, I think you know it's. It's not done yet, and uh, so when you put it in that light, it, it sounds fantastic, but hopefully I have more to add to that resume. Now, before we even get into everything else on, on your life, how did that end up happening? The Sacramento experience? Yes. Yeah, so um, one of my mentors, Roy Rana, he's also the former men's head coach with the Rose Rams, um, he recently accepted uh, the lead, or sorry, it was um, Chief of Staff is a title he he currently owns with the Kings. And so he took on that role um, this past year. And, you know, in, in thinking and the way that the league is now moving um, in terms of being allies with female in the, in the sport, um, he reached out to me and asked if I wanted to be a part of their summer league staff. So obviously, um, it was a great opportunity and I'm very humbled that he, that he thought of me and it was as simple as, as accepting the offer. Really. I mean, there wasn't much to it. Um, it's yeah. funny because at the time would, I was Would you like coaching. to come out here? Um, no, no, I, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> Yeah, we. I mean, we had talked before at at some length about um, you know my involvement on the men's side, and I had previously 
with his junior world team um, that won gold at, at the World Cup. Uh, I had done a training camp with him prior to their departure for Egypt. And so, you know, not only working with Roy, but actually being on the court with him, I think there's a certain level of comfortability. And I think just his willingness to mentor anyone, really, I think he, he tends to gravitate to people that, um, you know, are loyal to to their craft and to the game. And I think he saw that in me. And again, just super appreciative that that I even came up on his radar and um, that he had me out in Sacktown. So did he send you a text or did he call you? He sent me a text. Um, at the time, it was like in the middle of the summer or just before, I want to say it was like middle of June sometime. So it was quite late, but because um, they were going to start in a matter of weeks. And I had been with two different travel teams and I was like, Ooh, Roy, I don't know. I don't know if I can make this work. Like, um, you know, I'm, I'm in the middle of, you know, travel season. And I, I spoke with both my, you know, employers for, for both programs. And they're like, you're crazy. Like, how can you not, <laughs> uh, yeah. take this opportunity? So I, I found a way to, to make it work with, with both of the teams that I was, um, coaching with. And, uh, yeah, they flew me out for a week, and it was an incredible experience. Like, how do you feel when you first hear that as a coach? Because knowing what the NBA is, the, the product, right, and he tells you, what's the first thing you feel when you hear him ask you that? Uh, I was definitely excited. I mean, I'm also someone that's pretty, I'll say, even keel when it comes to most things. Um, but at the same time, like I, I wasn't like, wow, I'm going to work in the NBA. Like I, I saw it for just what it was and oh, it was I, an I mean, experience. I would have done. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I went in with no expectations, um, just so that I could, you know, get the most out of, out of my time there. And, um, you know, the Kings have a great, staff to learn from um, a very diverse staff um, Roy being part of that diversity you know coming from the high school level having a lot of success at the university and international level at all age groups and then um, you know coach Bob coached for a number of years um, you know in the NCAA and and then Jesse is just you know a vet in the league so it was really cool to kind of see different um I'll say styles of coaching and, and different teachings and that for me was like I guess some of the biggest takeaways is just seeing how they operate and and I know a lot of people wanted to make you know stories about you know me being a female in in, in on an MBA staff which I think is incredible um, but at the end of the day, they're also it's also still basketball, and they're also still players. Yeah, to, um, so to was, a certain degree, like it doesn't matter. You're just there to do yeah. a job. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, and I definitely like felt that being in that environment. It wasn't like the guys were like, "Oh, there's a female on the court," or "There's a female presenting the scout." Like, I didn't feel that. Um, I want to say like nuance. Mm-hmm. Like it was it was kind of like, this is normal. This happens all the time, which is encouraging for me. And, um, you know, I, I know it's, you know, more females are coming up in the league. You see Britt, uh, McDonald with the, with the, uh, Raptors now. And there's a handful of, and she does, she does a great job. I'm on the floor every game at home. And mm-hmm. when you watch the way that she works, she's super focused. She's intense. She she does an excellent job. Have you ever thought about doing any work with the Raptors or the 905? Yeah, so have me. <laughs> I'm but pretty no, big time. In, I can in, make a call, you know. That that would be incredible. I, I'm always of the philosophy of, of being 100% in, into whatever I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also someone that believes in 
you know, not saying no to opportunities too. And I think that was something I had to learn the hard way with Roy in, in, uh, last summer's, um, experiences, but, um, yeah, I'm not saying no to a lot of opportunities unless I feel like it's, it's the right fit. So what do coaches do now? Like, what do you do now with this COVID-19? I hope you and your family are well, by the way. I hope every do, everyone you. around you is okay. Um, but you as a coach who lives in the gym, mm-hmm. have you gone insane yet? Uh, there's definitely ebbs and flows of, you know, clarity and then insanity. Um, which I think is natural and I, I think is, is expected in a lot of ways. But for me, usually this is a time, a lot, like a, I'll say a lot of coaches probably share this sentiment, but it's the time for, you know, reflection and professional growth and even personal growth, I'd say, because this is a time of year that, you know, there's not a lot of basketball. We're watching NBA basketball playoffs, ideally, during this time. And, um, you know, our, our student athletes just, finish their exam so we don't really have contact with them as much as we usually do anyways so um this is really a time for our growth um you know we spend so much time focusing on on the athletes growth and development throughout the year um and not that you can't do that from a from a coach growth perspective during the year but it just tends to get prioritized lower down the totem pole um and it's important during the year yeah during the years for obvious during the year for obvious reasons but it definitely is important um i think to like further not just your career but again what team you're with and and i'll say bigger picture the game of basketball Um, because if you're doing the same stuff or coaching the same way the same way you were last year then can you really call that growth Right. So, um, so, that's so really, I mean, yeah, go you got to, I guess, evolve in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like, what has been fantastic with with um, you know everything going online is that there's a lot of coaches and just people willing to share. Um, I mean, countless, countless hours of of online clinics and even just Zoom. Like, I love Zoom now. <laughs> But just like countless conversations I've had with different coaches and just really a chance to actually like, you know, mute yourself so you can shut up and listen to what other people have to say. And I I find that, um, I'll say, refreshing um, because it sheds new light on maybe things that you you may not think of or, you know, within your circle um, you may not be exposed to. And and Mm. again, it's, it's... it's been great in that sentiment, in that regard, um, but not great for the people like myself that like to move and like to be on the court. But there, there are other ways to achieve that as well. I think like we are uh, big users of social media with our, our Ryerson team. And so we've, we've found ways to, you know, engage our athletes, engage our community and, you know, ball handling challenges or um, like our girls are doing, they have their own strength program, which is pretty typical for this time of year anyways, but we've adopted it to having, you know, less resources, a lot of body weight um, workouts, but even, you know, different things they can use around the house. So we have, we've had to be a little bit more resourceful in that way, but um, I think it's a great test of, of willpower. There's definitely things for my personal growth that I've also tested myself uh, with over the past, couple weeks here being in isolation and um it's good learning it's good reflection and i think much needed so you're a mississauga native where did your your love of the game come from um i actually grew up uh, playing filipino league i'm i'm half filipino my dad is born and raised in the philippines and immigrated um to canada over 40 years ago and um, my brother started playing. One of his Filipino friends said, "Hey, you're Filipino. Let's play on a team together." And then Filipinos pretty, love their basketball. They are uh, huge they live basketball and fans. <laughs> yeah, 
Just ask Farad. He knows. He's got the best of both worlds, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's how I started um, playing. And I, I actually didn't, I was a little bit hesitant at first because I was like, oh, mommy, I have, I have too much homework. And I'm like eight years old. <laughs> and I saw how much fun my cousins and my, I have a twin sister. Um, I just saw how much fun they were having. She as good like, as you. Okay. Uh, that's, that's debatable. That's a <laughs> whole other podcast probably. <laughs> 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 but no, my sister and I played together, but I, I'll say in short, like Filipino league is where I started. And I think having a, my twin and also just another person and competitor, I'll say, involved in sport with me definitely helped cultivate my my drive to play. So I'm guessing now because you played in college, but before you even get there, um, you played mm-hmm. in at Cleveland State. But before you get to Cleveland State, obviously, you got to be a damn good player in high school. So when did you actually realize in high school that you were pretty good? Um, I think I knew before high school that I was pretty good. I was like a really awkward, I'll say tweener. Like I discovered I needed glasses late and I had braces. So I I had braces and goggles and I wore like a headband and high socks. Like Oh, so you were like a basketball geek just killing people. I was probably like the dorkiest kid on the (laughs) court in like grade seven, grade Uh. eight. But people were so afraid, like so intimidated. They're like, oh, it's Goggle Girl. Uh Uh-oh. And uh, Uh I I mean, (laughs) I think think maybe that's the the hype of the gear probably started started it. But um, we started playing, me and my sister and I started playing club around that time. And um, I don't even know if I knew I was good. I think we just loved playing so much. And we made varsity or the senior team when I was when we were both in grade nine, and um, I think what from high school then did you on, go to? I went to Father Michael Gates. Oh, Father um, Gates, good program over there. Yes, yeah. See, you, you know it for its basketball, right? Yeah, um, I've taken a couple beatings from in them a, in high school. Exactly. Did you grow up in the? region as well yeah i went to lincoln alexander when it just turned into lincoln um from westwood and at that time i don't know how they are now but at that time gates was just coming up and they did not look back they were just Mm. killing people yeah you know without like getting too much on tangent i really feel like there's a lot of good I'll say athletes that have come out of Father Michael Gates and it's Father Michael Gates is not a big high school. Mm-hmm. And whether you know it or you don't, we had some of the best, we had the best phys ed department because all of those teachers were so willing to not just devote their time, but they actually knew sports. Like our football coach played in the CFL. Um, our football coach, who is also our boys' basketball coach, he's now the head coach uh, for the Saint FX, um football team. Like really? we, ha- we just had, yeah. Uh, and my high school coach is now one of the top officials um, in the OUA on the men's side. Okay, yeah, so, that's different. That's that different. is different, but I think knowledge of the game goes such a long way, and passion to teach it goes such a long way, and there. It's no surprise to me that as many, for not being a huge school, I mean, it's huge in, in relativity, but not being like a well-known powerhouse school. We, like this is pre, um, I'll say OSBA and prep school era. Um, we had a lot of good athletes, not just come out and play at the university level, but even professional. Um you know, like you have like Andrew Nicholson who played for a number of years in the in the league and was playing in I think China last last I checked and um the Mwambas who play in the CFL, like Yeah. Again, there's no there's no surprise to me, but um playing at Gates was a treat because we got to be surrounded by so many elite athletes and I think that 
that just helps push our our own athleticism. Did you know that being a coach was going to be in your future? Like, say, when you started playing at Cleveland State? No. And actually, I love telling this story because <laughs> it's uh, the how not to become a coach. Um, I <laughs> okay, never wanted, I want to hear this. I never wanted to coach, like, ever. And in high school, I I actually tore both my ACLs. Both? So, both. Not at the same time. I did one after my, like, in the middle of my grade 10 year. And I blew out my second right uh, in my grade 11 year. So I missed like almost two seasons of basketball with, with both wow. ACLs. So, yeah. So, and I still played in, in, and got a scholarship, which is. That's crazy. <laughs> um, but yeah, so during that time when I was sidelined, both my club coach and my high school coach were both they were like, this is going to be great. Like, you're going to learn so much being sidelined and you're going to see the game in a, in a different way. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. I just, I just want to play. Like, <laughs> that's, that's for the birds. Like, <laughs> I just want to be back yeah. on the court. I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it, coach. Yeah. And I, re- I remember, um, you know, my high school coach saying to me, you know, you think you'll coach one day? And I was like, nah. And then the same thing when I, when I got, you know, to university, um, I was like, oh, this like big head, eighteen year old, and I thought I knew everything. And I had one of my assistants like put me in my place early on. But how so? I remember. Uh, I was just was so combative. Like, no, it's got to be this way. And she's just like, let me, let me coach you. Like, you, you won't always be right. Like, I'm willing to listen to hear what you have to say. Like, you need to be willing to listen to what I have to say. Yeah, that's good advice um, and, there. And she, yeah, and she was right. But um, I think just even seeing the lifestyle that, you know, my, my coaches in college lived, I didn't feel like that was for me. Like, I wanted a, a nine to five. and It's some, it's grueling hours, isn't it? It is. And I, I think, like, it's definitely different here in Canada. It's not the – I'll say it's not the same lifestyle, but I think – it can be if you want it to be. Um, like, what's the big difference start, with there and here? Uh, I would say there's more on the line. Like, contracts are a lot shorter. Like, again, without going too far down that path, that because path, that could be a whole other topic and discussion. Um, the contracts are different. The Our jobs aren't predicated on wins and losses. They are to a degree, but there's definitely more stability across youth sports there's less opportunity um but there's more stability i think and there's more balance around you know when i coached in the state like i coached for a year at cleveland state prior to coming to ryerson and i felt like i had no balance like i was coming home you know on the phone with recruits i'd be cooking dinner on the phone with recruits and then I'd wake up and go to work early the next day to write letters to send to recruits. Like it was like non-stop. Where now there's a little bit more balance. We have a little bit more freedom in terms of like rules and what we can and can't do with recruits. So it's a lot easier to connect with them um, here in Canada. So you're under a um, lot of pressure we- to get those recruits though at the same time, right? Yes. I, don't, I just don't feel the same, I'll say, cutthroatness in Canada like don't get me wrong it's definitely like equally competitive Mm -hmm. um the difference is though is instead of having like 10 kids or 10 schools after the same kid you might have like two or three you know and and the the universities in in, at least in Ontario they are are just so different (laughs) and so if, if you don't land a kid like that sucks but um, you can also have some, I'll say, empathy and understanding as to why certain people choose, you know, yeah. another school over Ryerson or vice versa. So give me some examples of um, a stigma, I would say, with women coaching men, like a double standard that ticks you off. 
because mm. there there is double standards. There's a couple of things that that tick me off in regards to men and women. First of all, one thing I you, don't like, and you, and you can weigh in on this. Okay. I don't like the fact that there aren't head coaches, women, in the NBA, and there's men coaching in the WNBA. What do you think about that? Mm-hmm. I don't agree with it. I don't like it. Yeah, I would I would give the NBA a little more, um, I'll say, credit, because I think, I think they are very progressive in how they handle equality. Um, I think, I think like all things, when there's a cultural shift, it has to come in waves and not everyone is ready to hear. Like, I think everyone understands like what equality is and, and having equal representation. Um, but the other reality is, is I wonder how many, how many, I'll say qualified or even unqualified um, female coaches are applying for those positions. Um, Cause I, I think like, and I learn a lot of this through, through, you know, Carly and my head coach and the biggest, I, I will say pitfall is, is not that there's unqualified women out there is that they're not applying for these jobs or, or they won't because they don't think they're qualified. And I mean, we can go on and on. There's a number of things that I think make coaches qualified to be in the positions they are. And obviously, you know, in the league, something that's highly tutored is experience. You know, you look at all the former players that are now coaches and big time coaches in the league, like they all had, um, I'll say professional experience. And if you look at the females that are in the league, with the exception of a small few, they're all women that played in the WNBA or professional at, at some at some level mm-hmm. and like yeah. i said there are there are exceptions but i think until until uh until more women start applying and um we we won't know we won't we can't really like you know toot that horn and be like hey this isn't fair um because we have to have more people willing to put themselves out there True, and I I do agree with you in that sense. Um, I think there should be more women also. Well, you know what? There actually are a lot more women in the front office now as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, that I agree with. Honestly, the way I've thought, and I've talked to people about this before too, I believe that there should be more women in the front office because they think differently than Mm -hmm. men do. And I believe that they'll take more risks and they'll try different things. Now, I don't know if what I'm saying is true or if it's absolutely ludicrous, but to me, my thought process is now you could tell me if this is ridiculous or not, because I don't know, but they should have, more general managers as women, in my opinion, especially for bad teams, because I personally believe that they would turn teams around faster at the pro level. Because I believe that they will try things and do things differently. Now, I'm, I'm not sure if you realize, but in the NBA or WNBA, whatever the case may be, but I'm specifically talking about the, the, w, the NBA here. There's a lot of bad teams in the league that have just been bad for years. Like the mm-hmm. scouting has been bad, coaching has been bad. Like front offices have been terrible. Why aren't they doing new things? Why aren't they trying new things? There is a lot of women out here who can do the job. I'm pretty sure you know that, and I know that as well. Mm -hmm. Do you think... Well, I... Sorry, go ahead. Do you think they're just scared? Are they, you know, just reluctant to try something different? They don't know how it's going to go? People's lines are on the job? I mean, what's your take on that? 
I'm sure all of those things weigh in. I, I, I'll be quite honest, Mike. I, I don't know that I can um, accurately speak to that because I, I don't work in management. I work I can't with either, people by and, the way. And, and coaching, right? Yeah. Um, do I think women would, would take more risks? Like, uh, I don't know. Like, that's, I think that's to be determined. I would hope that, um, like, one thing I admire about um, our former uh, athletic director, Ivan Joseph, is that he was an innovator. And he was willing, um, to your point, to take risks, you know, and, and hiring, you know, people and coaches with diverse backgrounds. And he, he's a big believer in people and I think that's empowering to any institution that you're part of and I I think if you model an organization that way um, you know you're bound for success there's I'm sure there's a million other factors that go into you know what makes up I'm I'm in the middle of like catching up with the last dance and so I see all the the clout that um Krause is getting with with formulating you know his his bold franchise back in the 90s but um yeah there's probably a million you know factors that I might not even be able to consider out of sheer ignorance what would you be doing if you want to coach mm, I get asked this one a lot I always say uh yoga teacher in Costa Rica <laughs> whoa, whoa okay hold on you even have or the country maybe a firefighter <laughs> uh yeah of course i have the country i gotta know where my market is costa rica okay uh-huh i'm a big like warmth person like that's why i try to occupy myself in the winter with basketball because it distracts ah, me from realizing how cold it is <laughs> now when it comes to coaching and practice what is the best way to make how do you run an effective practice like i I coached for over 10 years as well Mm -hmm. and when i look back i didn't really at the time but when i look back i was like man i was i made a lot of mistakes as a coach so what is your typical message? I don't know if you have a typical message, but what is a message you try to get through to your players to get them to understand that if we want to win, we have to do this, this, and this? Mm-hmm. I think there's so many ways you can go with that. And, and again, I can only speak to, I'll say, my experience as um, an assistant at Ryerson and, and you know, I've had great examples and, and Carly and, and even some of the other coaches that I've coached under during the year um, of how to run a good practice. And, you know, Carly has a, a great, I'll say, pedigree um, and, you know, great learning that she brings back to our staff from the national team. Because um, I think environment is really important into conducting an effective practice. Um, The messaging is always going to change. I think as like a general rule of thumb, we try to keep the emphasis short because if it's longer than like three points, then the practice gets a little diluted. Things, what do you mean, um, like but, things just get lost, kind of? Or? Yeah, like if you're like, oh, we want to work on offensive rebounding and defensive rebound. We also want to work on our blobs and slobs, and then we're going to work on our press. Like, you're probably going to do none of those things well <laughs> or <laughs> or achieve any kind of real, I'll say, significant growth if you try to do all those things. I think you've got to keep it, you know, more concise than that. Um so I would I would say like being concise, but also being intentional because there's ways to like, um, and this is I. So I am a certified yoga instructor. That's why that's why I said I'd be a yoga teacher in Costa Rica. Okay. Um, one thing I learned in my teacher training was about theming classes, and so when you theme classes, it becomes really easy to like tie things back to that theme. Mm-hmm. Um, so the learning it becomes a little more 
I'll say concreted and, and memorable. So wait, do you teach your um, players yoga? I do not. I have led a few, I'll say yoga sessions, but we typically bring in someone external for that. Oh, okay. Our girls because, do do yoga. I mean, I, I was yeah, watching yeah. Phil Jackson do the same thing since you brought up the last dance. Oh, I haven't made it that far yet. So, so oh, okay. I'll be quiet. I'll be quiet. <laughs> uh, what's your What's some of your best memories as a coach? Uh, some of my best memories, honestly, it, it very little has to do with the basketball. Yeah, it's, all it's off the court. The, yeah, it's just like what brings me the most joy is like when I see um, teammates connect. And um, this this I'll actually recommend, I think, is a great practice. I just did one of the podcasts I was listening to this past week. Um, a great practice for coaches is, is looking at them in the lens of, like, not who they are now, but who they will become. The player? The players, yes. So not mm. not seeing them for who they are now, but who they will be. And I, I often do that. Um, because I'm like constantly replaying my own experiences and I just think of like, man, like these guys are so fortunate to, to live and, and play in a time and era where, you know, they have almost, I want to say unlimited resources or at least resources I didn't have access to as a player. Um, and you know, just seeing them interact and, and just be good people like that, that makes me proud. And it makes me hopeful that what I am doing is impacting them positive, positively, whether it be directly or indirectly. Um, other things too, that like I saw, I'll say are, are memorable is just, um, I love doing player development. And so to see, now, does that have to, to do? That. Does it have to do with exclusively on court, or does player development have to do with off court within like character as well? Um, I do. Let, I'll say, I maybe unknowingly do things revolving around character, um, but that's not my role on this staff. I primarily deal with the actual like physical attributes. And, and skills of, of the athletes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I I have it brings me great joy to see someone like work on something for a really long time and then it like click in a game. Um, like we had a player you know last summer who was trying to improve her shot and spent all summer on it and then to see her you know knocking down threes this season was was incredible. Or, you know, we'll watch film with somebody and I'll be like, hey, you know, your your defenders keep, you know, going under screens. Why don't you try this? And, and then it works. And it's really just on a hunch <laughs> more than anything. But um, it's just exciting to see that, that growth happen and, and see it all click. Okay, Jessica, I got two more questions for you. Okay. Sure. Um there's going to be a lot of players who end up listening to this podcast, right? So even if you're not a star player or a starter or a six man, there will be times when you are on a team, whether it's a basketball team or any other sport for that matter, for team sports, where you may not play as a player, Mm -hmm. right? So as a coach, what message would you tell the players um, who aren't playing? At that time, because when I was a coach, there were some players who didn't get to play. And so they might have thought that they weren't useful for the team. But I told I used to tell them that there's always a purpose of why I have you on this team. Right. Mm -hmm. So so what is your message to that boy or that girl who may not be playing currently? Whatever sport. That's a great. That's a great question. Um, I think the first thing I'll say is stay ready. Um, This year was a great example of, of, I'll say, role players stepping up 
um, just because we had so many injuries. And if you're not, you know, if you're too busy feeling sorry for yourself or you're thinking like, well, I'm not going to play, you know, I don't have to train as hard, you're sorely mistaken. So the, the, the biggest thing is I'll say is stay ready. So if you're not getting the reps in practice, spend some extra time before, after, you know, on the weekend, getting in your shots, extra conditioning. Like we started something um, a couple years ago uh, where, you know, if we had players that played below 12 minutes in a game. They have conditioning immediately after the game. Um, that's, and that's interesting. To, mm-hmm, and that's just to maintain their fitness. Um, and it's not punishment. It's not, uh, you know, it's not to like degrade anyone. It's just, you have, you have to stay ready. I like that. That's um, interesting. I've never heard that before. Mm-hmm. We call them top ups. Top ups. Um, the other thing I'll say is, uh, that's important for, for people who aren't playing is, is you need to know your own value. And, um, you know, we're, we live in a time now where there's a lot of players with like, and they could be high performing players, but with like really low self-confidence. Yes. And, um, that's not a bash to, I'll say this generation. I just think it's something that not everyone either knows or is taught and a great practice, um, I think for those players is to just, you know, self-reflect, know what you do well. Like, how do you know you, like, I'm a shooter. Okay, well, how do you know you're a good shooter? Well, because when I shoot in the gym, I'm shooting game shots at game spots at game speed, and I make like 60% of them in practice. Right. So, so I know I'm a so good you're saying they should reflect on how they got there because they didn't get there by accident. Yeah, yeah. I think, like, it's just, to your point about like you have a value for everyone on the team, I think an individual needs to know their own value. Like a lot of times I feel like players are seeking external validation from their coach. And so when they're not playing, all of a sudden their value system has changed. Like they become less valuable. But to your point, there are a number of, and I try to, we Carly and I get better at this year after year of how to articulate that to, to athletes um, so that their understanding around mm-hmm. their roles are clear. And, and um, cause there's, there's a ton of decisions that go into playing a ton of decisions. And sometimes it has nothing to do with an individual and more to do with the context and the situation. Um. But if you if you are strong in your stance and know your value, um, you will always be prepared. And I'll, I'll give this example: is my freshman year at Cleveland State, I started every game. I probably averaged like twenty plus minutes. And then my sophomore year, my minutes were like cut in more than half. Like there were some games I didn't get in at all, and my confidence took a huge dip. And I remember going into my coach and I wasn't asking her why I wasn't playing more. I was just like, what do I need to do to get on the, like to be useful for everyone and to get on the court. And um, she just told me like, you know, keep working hard and, and um, like, you know, your time, your time will come. But I think at the time we had like some seniors that, that, my sister was playing well that year and, and we had some seniors ahead of me, but I knew my value. I knew what I was strong at. And so when I did get in, that's all I could present, you know, and it's, it sucks. It's a hard position to be in, but um, I really feel like that's what carried me through that season was just knowing my own, my own value. Um, And then the last thing I'll say, Mm -hmm. like a piece of advice is just, just ask if you're not sure, ask, like, what can I be doing better? Um, But I'll, I'll say this, I'll preface this. Don't ask if you haven't put in the work yet. Right. So don't, don't be going to coach asking for, for more minutes. If you 
haven't or aren't willing to put in the work. And I'm sure you have an idea if you've put it in or not. Yes. You know. Yes. It, that that's a different conversation altogether. So yeah. I think if you're if you're if you feel like you're working more than let's say the people that are playing <clears throat> and are deserving of more, um, then there needs to be some reflection on why isn't the outcome of performance better or what, where is the decision-making, um, I guess, going awry from the coaching standpoint. And then you can ask those questions. But. Well, I, I feel like you're coaching me right now because I'm literally writing stuff down. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so last question, what, what kind of advice would you give to somebody who's looking to get into coaching? Yeah, uh, coach anywhere, coach everywhere, coach your little brother, coach your little sister. Um, I will say, like, I I know my privilege. I am definitely spoiled when it comes to my profession. Like, I'm able to coach for a living, and I don't think in Canada there's not many people, or let alone young females, that are that are able to do so. Um, and a lot of people. You know, I'll say I'll call them the OGs of our league have to come up some other way, whether it was like coaching high school, coaching club for like next to no money. And again, I'll allude to my high school days. My coach, my high school coaches were never paid. Like they yeah. they did it out mm-hmm. of, you know, their own passion and, and, and love for the game. And um, there's just there's so many avenues now. Like everyone has a, a skills coach, so like, <laughs> that's a that's a great place to start. So true. Um, but I think just if you are willing and want to get involved, like go find good mentors. Go go find people to learn from, um, or go find a guinea pig team that you know you can again like a 11 year old basketball team to learn from. I I actually use the off season. I I can't do it now, obviously. But there's a, a 13-year-old boys team in Toronto that I, I do skill coaching with. And so I'll come in once a week and, and I'll run drills with them. And, and those guys are my guinea pigs. <laughs> you always <laughs> try, you know, all your, try all your new stuff with them. Yeah, like I, I'm, I'm seeing like, okay, does this make sense? Can I, can I do this with 13-year-olds? And, and will it transfer over to my student-athletes um, when we have our workouts? So. That would be my piece of advice. And um, another easy, easy way to, to get involved in coaching is, is the film side of things now. Like, you see that happening more at the college level and I'll say even the pro level. Like, you'll get someone like Eric Spolstrom who started off as a video guy. Like, yeah, video is really, really easy because it requires, I'll say, next to no skill. And I don't mean that in a in a degrading way i just mean like you need to have a computer and and uh, eyes and eyes and willingness (laughs) to to you know learn and see see what's before you and i i think that that can definitely go a long way well jessica i am looking forward to you know seeing you on the basketball court behind the bench at a raptors game Anything when this COVID-19 stuff is done, um, mm-hmm. I'm going to be rooting for you. And I, I, I mean, hearing and, and seeing the work that you've done, I know there's a lot more in front of you. I know you're going to be in the pros one day. Um, when that will be. I that would know. be, that but would be I great. I need to happen. start putting, I need to start putting my name for some of those job applications. Don't worry. I'm going to hook you up with some of those. I'm big time like that. <laughs> Sounds great, Mike. Well, thanks for having me, and no problem. And appreciate the the chat. Thank you so much. That is Jessica Roke, lead assistant coach for the Ryerson Rams. Jessica, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. No problem, Mike. Yeah, can you send me, I guess, the link to the podcast whenever? Absolutely, I will do that. I will do that for sure. Okay. Well, it, it's you have a couple episodes out now. I should probably check out a few. Yeah, man. You can check out a whole bunch. I just did one with uh, Matt Devlin I just released. Leo Routens. I did uh, Colbeer Singh, who is doing some basketball work in the Malton community in Mississauga. 
Um, I've, I've done a whole bunch. I got a whole bunch in the queue as well. And you know what? This is a time where all I try to do is provide value for everybody who's going to be listening to this. So it's not just about the on-court. It's about off-court off as well, just like we spoke about in this podcast. And I just want to make sure that if you're listening to this show, it's something that you can take with you. It's something that you can learn, right? For sure. Um, so so that's that's all I'm trying to do. You know what I mean? So Great. listening to you today, I've learned a lot. And so I'm sure a lot of other people are going to be learning a ton listening from you as well. And I'm sure this probably will not be the last time that we do this. This is just going to be the beginning. Sounds good. For now. All right. So we will talk again, again soon. Looking forward to that. Okay. Okay. Mike. Okay. Take care. Good. Goodbye. And there you go, folks. Jessica Roke, lead assistant coach for the Ryerson Rams. And she is doing a lot of big things. And, just hearing um, the knowledge she has, the wisdom, hearing her love, her passion, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that she is going to be coaching in the big leagues. I don't know where, but she's going to do it. I already know that from now, folks. And just like Jessica said, you got to get on there and listen to some of these interviews that I've been doing for OXP Media. Um, find us on Instagram, OXP.media, iTunes, Spotify, um, we're always going to be coming at you with new podcasts, new shows, all that kind of stuff. Make sure you listen to the First and Ted podcast with Brandon Graham. Uh, but I'll keep it short and sweet because you came on here to hear Jessica Roke, not your boy Mike Roach. All right. So make sure you follow, like, share, comment, everything OXP Media. And we are looking forward to getting back to you again soon next week with some new content. So it's Mike Roach, holla at your boy, and I'll be talking to you again soon. Peace. You've been listening to the Mike Roach Podcast, where storytelling, sports, and keeping it real are the only ways to live by. We hope you've gotten some valuable and practical information from the show. Link up with us on Instagram at oxp.media or at microach 7 where you can view images of the content on this program. We're on Facebook, Apple Podcast, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Have a wonderful day, and thank you for listening. Until next week. For years, Minky Couture has been donating blankets to NICUs across the country. Owner Sandy Henry's grandson was born at 30 weeks, and she placed a mini blanket in her grandson's incubator. We want to help other NICU families with the Heart of Minky program. For every adult-sized blanket purchased, Minky Couture will donate a mini-sized blanket to NICUs across the nation. Thanks to you, we can fulfill our dream to blanket the world. Leftovers or the DMV or house cleaning or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. T plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.